CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, it's a saying I'm sure we've heard many times in our lives, whether it's wearing a seatbelt, wearing a helmet, protective eyewear perhaps, safety first. Well, uh, that may have taken on a different meaning this week in the CFL, as uh, I'm sure we'll be talking this week about uh, Rick Campbell's decision to take a safety up four points with uh, just over a minute left in the game, cost his team the win. Uh, I think Mike and I are both firmly in the stance that was the wrong decision, but we will dissect it all down here. Hello, this is the Canadian Football Countdown. I am Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I am uh, Dr. Pinned on the afterburner, which will... Uh being out in the next couple of weeks, so it's exciting stuff around here. Good to hear. Great. As you can tell, I haven't wiped this smile off my face since you walked in here about three minutes ago. Well, that was about 30 seconds ago. I got here right before we started. I haven't even eaten supper. I've got it in front of me here. So uh, I'm going to take a moment to grab a bite to hear, eat here, and I'll turn it over to you, Mike, because the hit segment last week Mike's Power Rankings, it was a successful segment on the show, so let's kick off the show with it this week uh, here on the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out cfpodnetwork.ca for all of the rest of that. But Mike, I turn it over to you for your Week 7 CFL Power Rankings. Alright, well, I mean, as, as one might expect, the top two teams in the CFL did battle last week, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I think it's only fair we gave the winner of last week's game first place overall in the power rankings, that being the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So, with a record of five wins and one loss, the number one seed in Mike's power rankings for this week will go to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But have no fear. One loss doesn't derail the ship, at least right now. So with that, I've given the 5-1 and one Winnipeg Blue Bombers the number two spot in the uh, power rankings. For this week, um, for the number three seed in the, in the power rankings for this week, I have given the Edmonton Eskimos uh, power uh, number three overall, they come in with a win-loss record of four wins, two losses, and they get the higher seeded of the power rankings by virtue of doing something very, very rare that not a lot of CFL teams have been able to do in recent memory, and that means putting up a big granddaddy of a zero on a team's uh, past performance sheet, which they did. Uh, to the Toronto Ardenauts, and I'm sure we'll have some thoughts on the Toronto Ardenauts as the season goes along. Uh, this team was on a bye this past week for number four, so I didn't think that they were justified uh, moving either up or down, so I kept the Montreal Alouettes in the number four spot. Another team that is four and two, 
but showing a little bit of signs of maybe leaking oil or not being as good as they have been in the past, but still being able to get the job done, warrants the Calgary Stampeders the number five seed. A team going to three and three, completed a sweep of a back-to-back opponent. Yeah, takes up number six on our rankings. That goes politely to the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders for finishing off the BC Lions in a home-and-home sweep on the road, quite emphatically giving up three points to the BC Lions offense. And notice how I didn't put the rest of the points in there because those were special teams. But, boy, the Riders are dead when they are firing on all cylinders. This is where I debated a little bit. A team that, however you decide to tier these bottom three, I think this is appropriate. Number seven will be the two and four Ottawa Redblats, having lost their fourth straight team. I mean, as Ryan said in the opening, about as detrimental as a lo- of a loss as you could be and foolish decision-making, hence my little rant that's about to come when we bring this up, does not allow the team to move up in the rankings as they've now lost four in a row. The BC Lions at now what would be one and sits. Uh, they take number seven. And this is strictly on the fact that I think if you can fit that offensive line in BC, uh, to give Mike Riley some time, I think that would alleviate a lot of your problems, both offensively, defensively, and of course the special team did not have that much of an issue this week resulting in the most points out of any of the three offensive units for BC. So I think for BC, it all goes hand-in-hand. You give your quarterback more time to throw the ball, you keep the offense on the field, you keep your defense rested, and it's a cycle that is very... um, It's a cycle that is easily and finally oiled when all three systems are working well. And... I hate to have to defend this team every week, but they are number nine in our power rankings. And now at O and six. Granted, most of their losses have come uh, against the West Division. But again, one step forward, which I thought was two weeks ago, was followed by a massive step backwards. And a team, quite frankly, who's searching for their starting quarterback. I think after this week and trying to inject a few things. But I will say, however, I think it would be a mistake for the Ardell to make a coaching change, at least at the head coach position right now, because said head coach is getting close to setting a dubious mark that nobody, I think, wants to be a part of. But again, it, it's... Speaks for itself, but the Toronto Ardenauts are last in my power rankings. Good job again this week with those, Mike, and uh, thank you for giving me a moment to eat some supper here. Uh, managed to get that out of the way. If anybody's wondering, it was Farmer Sausage Burgers, as the true Mennonite in me <laughs> enjoys eating. Um, 
we're officially a third of the way through the CFL season now. Week 7 has come and gone. Are there any teams looking at where they are right now through seven weeks that you're surprised by where they are? BC. Yeah. Um, did I expect this team to be in first place? No. Did I expect them to be one and six? No. I had them honestly in a three and three, even two and two and four would be acceptable for me with BC and all the moving parts. But as much as there is to be excited about BC, there's a whole bunch of stuff that really doesn't thrill me. And as I said, I mean, they're, if they fix their offensive line, I think that's going to fix a lot of things. But again, until you have proven that you can fix those things, you are what you are. And by the same token, if you don't have a quarterback, more times than not, you're exposed to what you are. It's just the reality of the CFL. Yeah, I was going to say BC is the most obvious surprise to me because I didn't expect them to. I expect them to struggle a little early in the season, but not this bad. <laughs> Toronto to me as well, I thought I expect them to be obviously have a win at this point and be better than they are. Um, to me, it's the teams that are on the bottom of the spectrum, because if you talk about the teams at the top, we both had Winnipeg and Hamilton uh, finishing first place in their respective divisions in our preseason predictions, which they're currently leading their divisions. Uh, you know, Edmonton, I thought, was going to have a good year. Calgary, I thought, was going to take a step back. And like you said in your power rankings, I think Calgary looks like Calgary looks beatable. Calgary, Calgary looks beatable, but Calgary... Calgary is like everybody else, for once, and I think that's the cool thing. You know, it, it's not a given that the Calgary Stampeders win every week. It's they have to earn their win, or in last week's term, sorry, Ottawa, but they have to bat into a win. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it was Danny Austin, one of the reporters for Calgary, uh, went and said it uh, this week on Twitter. Um, Sorry, I was distracted by Mike. Mike, just let the fly go. It's annoying. It's fly around here. I was very distracted by Mike trying to catch it with his hand, but it did not work. So we'll let it fly around here. Um, but the point being, he said... Yeah, he went and said this week that, uh, you know, he's covered the team for a couple of years now, and this is the most fun he's ever had because it's not a given that the Stampeders are just going to go roll over the opposing teams. Like, they are in some interesting games down to the finish line all the time here, and, and sure, they went and played, you know, last week they went to beat Toronto a little handily, but this week it literally came down to the end of the game where they beat the Ottawa Red Blacks, so I think Calgary looks beatable this year, but I still think they're a good team with a really good defense here, and I think that, uh, you know, the un the other team out east that maybe some people would be surprised by through seven weeks is the Montreal Alouettes, who have won three straight games, but to me, the the writing was there preseason for this team to take a step forward, uh, defensively looking stronger this year. They they've performed better this year, obviously three straight wins, and I expected them to with, with the step forward they were taking. And I think the coaching change preseason uh, of Kahari Jones taking over as head coach helped in that regard quite a bit as well. So I don't know if there's too much outside of BC and Toronto that has surprised me through seven weeks, but. 
Let's get into talking. Can I just do a generality, which I think will lead into the next topic? In general, as a lead, I'm surprised that the number of starting quarterbacks hurt. That was exactly what the next topic was going to be, and uh, we did not coordinate that, so uh, chalk that up to five years of podcasting together. Well, I, I, I know where your brain goes and where you like to go, but now I would like to think. I would like to think so, too. So, you you do mention it because, you know, it was another thing that I had seen on Twitter at some point this week, and I wish I knew who had tweeted this out, but essentially... Six of the CFL's starting quarterbacks, or I guess now seven, given Jeremiah Mazzoli, have left a game due to injury. Uh, it was Matt Nichols, uh, Mike Riley, believe it or not, somehow, despite all the hits he's taken, uh, was one of the other ones. And then Jeremiah Mazzoli were the only starting quarterbacks who had not gotten injured so far this year. And like... Jeremiah Mazzoli's injury, on one hand, like, overall the injury sucks. Like, there's no easy way to put it, this injury sucks. I'm happy it didn't come from somebody making a reckless hit and taking his head off. I will say that. But it's just devastating to watch a guy go and tear his ACL and be out for the season on a movement that could have just been me walking from my car into the studio five, ten minutes ago. Right? Like, like it was a non-contact injury. He stepped the wrong way. All of a sudden, he's done for the year. We don't even know if he'll be ready to go for the start of next year. Because that is that's an injury. That's about a six. That is an injury. That's, that's about a nine-month to, nine to one-year recovery. Yeah, it takes a long time. And frankly, I really hope this isn't the case. But we don't know if Jeremiah Mazzoli's career will ever be the same after a major injury like that. A major injury can have a big effect on a player. And... I personally think that Mazzoli is an athlete. He's a warrior out there to the extent where he will, you know, come back from this injury as good as ever next season. Yep. But there's a lot of question marks and unpredictability with that. So, Well, you want to talk about a guy that's had knee injury but currently playing in the GFL. What did the guy behind center for the want to play Blue Bombers? Yeah, two devastating knee injuries by my count uh, when he was with the Edmonton Eskimos and He's playing the best football of his career this year, besides so, this week. Yeah, it, it's very, it's a very interesting thing, and I think, you know, it leads to another discussion as a whole. But, you know, maybe, maybe it's as simple as these players are training too hard and they're putting too much stress on those muscles, and they they just give way. Well, one of the things you asked me this week, which I thought was kind of interesting in light of the Mazzoli injury, was is there anything you can actually do to protect the quarterbacks? Not and, in this case. And in this case, no, because like I said, I could have this could have happened to me, and I really hope it doesn't happen to me on my way out of the studio later. Like, there's stuff you can do to prevent the the injuries that guys like Zach Caleros took. Right, in right. eliminating dangerous plays like that. But ones like this are just, on all levels, unfortunate. And I think I can say for the both of us, we it, it, it sucks for the Ticats. It sucks for Jeremiah Mazzoli. It sucks for the CFL because Mazzoli is one of the premier players in the CFL. He is one of the stars that draws attention to this league because he's one of the top quarterbacks in the game. And the, that, the CFL is the sum of its stars. Right, you you don't have these guys out there making the plays each week. 
you, you don't have the entertainment value that the CFL brings. And I, I think that it is a huge loss to have him gone for the rest of the season. And I think, I, well, I know I speak for both of us when I say we wish him the best recovery and hope we see him back out there next season. Absolutely. And to be honest with you, the game, the game had a completely different meaning after that injury happened. Yeah. Because, I mean, in the same sense, if you're the one to play Blue Bombers, yeah, you want to win the game. But I think you want to win it with best on best. You don't want to win in that type of scenario. Granted, injury, granted injuries happen, but... Granted, the way the Bombers played in this game, I think they would have taken any win if they right. could have gotten it. Right, is, but what I'm trying to say is you don't diminish... In an, in an unfortunate circumstance, I think, and it's rightfully so, I suppose, when it comes to this stuff. But there's always the, well, they weren't healthy, well, they had injuries, well, they had, right? So if the Bombers would have come back to win the game, it would have been like, well, yeah, but they sat while Mazzoli was in the game and... Really only team bat because the bat of quarterback was in the game. Like there seems to be an asterisk behind behind every single one performance for whatever reason. In a in a general sense. Yeah, and you know that let's get into talking about and, and real quick, I'm surprised this isn't a bigger topic of discussion. Because if this happened in the NFL where Tom Brady gets hurt that Prescott gets hurt, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, and big-name quarterbacks like that, that's sure to dominate the discussion. And just because it's CFL quarterbacks and a lot of CFL starting quarterbacks hurt, I don't think, you know, it's... But I still think it carries the same precedent. But can you imagine if this happened in the NFL... Where six of your top ten quarterbacks in the lead are injured? I mean, it's different. It's a completely different story. Well, it's also different because there's only nine teams in this league versus 32. Correct, but you're talking about marketing, marketable players in the CFL and Bully by Mitchell, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Trevor Harris for a time when he was hurt there a couple weeks ago. You're talking about marketable players that are out with significant injuries. Now, discussion topic I had planned for today was where do the Thai Cats go from here, which was already answered to us this morning when they officially brought in uh, ex Saskatchewan Rough Riders QB David Watford mm-hmm. um, to you know fill a hole there, but. Is it the right decision? Let's talk about what you would have done and what I would have done if I were the Hamilton Tiger Cats in this situation. You lose Jeremiah Mazzoli. Dane Evans comes in, does not play particularly well in mm-hmm. the rest of the game against the Bombers, but the Tiger Cats do pick up the win based on strong play from the defense and special teams. And they what, both played great. One would suggest they also came in with a fairly comfortable side to bully to work with. Yeah. Um so he didn't really need to do that much, right? Although the, they did still allow the Bombers to get back into that game because their offense did not move the ball very well uh, when, when Dane Evans was in there. 
Uh, this is a guy that I don't think he has any starts in the CFL. Maybe one or two uh, last season. One? Maybe one down the stretch. One down the stretch last year in week 20. Something like that. So this is a relative unknown. Behind him, you have a guy that's a complete rookie that definitely hasn't played a CFL game. And you don't actually now, with Mazzoli out, have a third quarterback on the roster. So we knew they needed to bring some sort of quarterback in. It was a question of whether... Did they go out and bring in a starter? Did they go out and bring in a backup for for Dane Evans or a third stringer at that? Um, what do you think? Like, let's explore the different options that were available, and and if we think David Watford was the good one, was the right one, would you have done something different here if you were the Tie Cats? I, I think, and I have no team management experience. But I really believe that that you're doing yourself a complete disservice by not picking up the phone and talking to other teams. Whether the other teams feel obligated to help you out for the sake of if they give you something, then they're basically in the Hamilton Tiger Cats position with one injury. To me, nobody's obligated to help anybody in the, in the event of an injury. That's why you try to formulate the best team possible. So I have no doubt in my mind that Hamilton picked up the phone. But whether somebody answered that phone regarding the trade, I'm not so sure. As for what I would have done, well, that depends on uh, my rate of circumstances, and not, not the least of which is, what is Jeremiah Mazzoli's long-term prognosis? Like, is this a high percentage that he recovers and becomes somewhat close to normal? And in most cases, one would suggest that the answer is yes. At which time, you really only need a stopgap veteran if you're under the assumption that Mazzoli is your guy. But in the same sense, Hamilton is a great cup contender as far as the East goes. And do you feel comfortable putting a young guy like Dane Evans in that position? So as for what I would have done, I would have done what Hamilton did. But adding on, and I'm assuming they did this and it hasn't been public knowledge, to me, you look under every rock, under every shell, under every corner to basically look at every possible scenario of guys. And if this was their best option, then that was their best option. Yeah, I I agree with what they have done here. And, and I have to say, Josh Smith from the Podsky Wee Wee uh, podcast, uh, Canadian Football Podcast Network member covering the Ticats, uh, he wrote an article this week for Three Down Nation uh, talking about the different options that were available to the Thai Cats and that they might bring in for this. And uh, so go definitely check that out for some thoughts on some of the other guys available it's there. It's a good article. It is. It, it covers all of these bases that we're talking about here. And, and I think that uh, for the Thai Cats, you, you mentioned it, right? Is Jeremiah Mazzoli is still the quarterback of the future for this team. Mm-hmm. So you look at some of the other options out there, you know, uh, Chris Strebler is a name that any time a team needs a quarterback is going to be brought up in trade discussions. Right. 
uh, others among them as well. Nick Arbuckle, perhaps. I know I brought that one up to you potentially because if Bo Levi Mitchell's coming back soon. Um, but the thing is, the Ticats don't need a future star here. Right. They need somebody serviceable to be available for this year. However, I think if you flip the team around and you say, this is the Ardos we're talking about. Oh, yeah, then you're... Then you're looking down those avenues. I mean, to be real here, if it's the Argos that are dealing with a quarterback injury, they don't exactly have a starting quarterback right. anyways. Right. So. Right. But if it's the Argos, I think, and you want a guy to build around, okay, you can pursue those t- type of options down the line. Unless you know that, I mean, it's also a completely different scenario if Jeremiah Mazzoli is not under contract beyond this year. Which he is, though. Correct, but if you want to take those chances next year with the guy, you know, sign him off of having played very little this year, that's a completely different discussion. Yeah, and, and, you know, to me, like, there's other options out there. So I think we both agree that, you know, the trade route probably was not the best way to go for them, and I'm kind of happy they didn't because as much as the Ticats have a championship-caliber team this year and probably want to win this year, they're hosting the Grey Cup in 2021, so they're not going to go... I, I I don't think you can go and mortgage potentially the future to go and get a stopgap in at quarterback right now for the Ticats. Um, so I, I don't think the trade route was the right way to go. I think they did go the right way about bringing in a free agent option. Um, other options available, I'm sure everybody in their minds was somewhat thinking, okay, maybe uh, do they call one of these guys... Uh, uh, out of retirement uh you know is ricky ray come out of retirement does kevin glenn come out of retirement maybe darian durant do you give him a call uh david watford i think is a good option to bring in you know this is a guy that has had a couple of years being in the cfl so he's not a true rookie he, he did play a couple games with saskatchewan get some playing time last season so you know dane evans is the guy and sure it might be a bit of a uh, rough go uh for the next little bit here for the tie cats but also, they have a bit of a softer schedule in the middle of the season because they have a couple uh, in-division games. They have a couple games with the BC Lions, the Ottawa Red Blacks, and the Toronto Argonauts. So they play Saskatchewan this week, but after that, Dane Evans gets you know, a bit of time to uh, to get his feet underneath him here a little bit and get some starts in there. And, and again, we don't know what Mazzoli's injury situation is going to be next year. Why not if you have a guy like Dane Evans, who you did sign, I believe, to a three-year contract extension this mm-hmm. offseason. Take the time to get to see what he can do. And, if, you know, if if he is a viable option for next year, should you need him? So I think the Ticats made the right decision here. Um, there weren't a lot of quarterback options available out there that weren't with another team. And frankly, given that not six other teams are without their starting quarterback due to injury, nobody was going to trade them a backup anyways. So David Watford... Just to close out this conversation, I think was the correct decision here. And I'm interested to see how Dean Evans does leading this team over the next couple of weeks. To me, and I heard this story out there with Hamilton, part of the reason why they deemed Johnny Mandel to be expendable was because of Dean Evans. And I think it speaks to the belief in Dean Evans when you sign a guy to a three-year contract. You're saying this guy is a viable option going forward. Well, guess what? Just to wrap up this conversation, Dane Evans, buddy, it's showtime. 
Yes, absolutely. And a tough game against Saskatchewan coming this week to do so. Short week for both teams, so it's an interesting matchup. Absolutely. Uh, flashback to last week, we talked which struggling team's going to turn it around first, BC, Toronto, or Ottawa. Well, I can tell you it wasn't Toronto. It they, wasn't either they, of the They three. put up a goose egg. I could tell you it wasn't BC. They looked like a disaster out there. I think after this week, I might say Ottawa, and that's where we're going to go here because Ottawa, for all intents and purposes, should have won this game. And the decision on everybody's minds right now is Rick Campbell's decision here to take a safety up four points with uh, how much time left? Just over a minute, something yeah, like that? A minute 33, something like that. To put them only up by two, and then Calgary gets a chance to uh, kick a field goal instead of needing to score a touchdown to win the game. Like, I think it was the wrong call. You told me you think it was absolutely the wrong call. I tried to think of other options out, like, of the logic there that may have constituted why you take that, make that decision, because uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. But it doesn't make sense. Th- can we drum up any sort of logic here as to why you would do it? Or is no, it and, and, no, and to me, it starts with an apology to Richie Leone, one of the best punches in the CFL. What giving up a safety tells me is I don't trust my kicker to kick it. And last I checked, Richie Leone is one of the better kickers in the CFL, average-wise. You apologize to your defense because I think it's a slap in the face. Because last I checked, the last 58 and a half minutes, Calgary hadn't scored a touchdown. So, to me, there is no justifiable reason to take the safety there. Now, they they would say, oh, you know what, there was a big run bad. Okay, I'll, I'll give those people that. But in the back of your head, the percentages say a team needing a touchdown to win the game versus needing a field goal. The odds on difficulty from no matter where you are in the field, just that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers against Hamilton in the last 90 seconds when they needed a touchdown and they couldn't get it. And now you're going to say, which is harder, Ryan? Touchdown or 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards, slice and dice into field goal range? Not even mentioning who's kicking the field goal on the other end. Yeah, the most accurate kicker in CFL history. Like, come on. So to me, if you really want to slice it, you should have kept it deep. You give them a 60-yard field, 55-yard field, whatever it is, to get a touchdown based on hypothetical math and average return solution and all that kind of stuff. They only had to move 30 yards once they had that on top of the safety. To the kickoff gets moved back 10 yards. One big question I have after this game, and this might be a bit of a weird question to ask, is the CFL game too complex for even its own coaches? No. Because no, you have coaches in and out, week in and out, making these decisions that fans go and watch and have to wonder why. And I'm not just talking about Rick Campbell here. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, Jason Moss kicking a field goal on first down against the Bombers back in week number three. I'm talking about decisions 
you know, week in and week out for some of these teams. Even looking at the Thai Cats this week, like they're trying to kill the clock there against the Bombers mm-hmm. at the end of the game. And you have Malik Irons running pretty well. Mm-hmm. And you call two passing plays that actually gave the Bombers a chance if they could have moved the ball down the field to come back and tie this game late. Like, you know, we we have a pretty good grasp, I like to think, you and I, on the mm-hmm. CFL rule book and the ins and outs of the CFL game. But I will admit, you know, sometimes I watch a game and I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I, I think we see it with some of the questionable refing from time to time that maybe even the refs don't fully understand what's what. Are coaches just trying to get too cute? Absolutely. I mean, in the same sense, it's easy to say with a certain scenario with what happened. So let's just say hypothetically they catch it and no safety was given up and Calgary comes all the way down the field and scores a touchdown. What's the discussion then? Should have given the safety it's a would have, could have, should have. It works. No, but this one isn't to me. No, but to me, in a general sense, he fades the punt. He doesn't get it. It's a turnover on downs. Right? It's, you're a hero if you get it. You're the enemy, and you're screamed at if you don't. This one is unique to me in that I don't think this one, if it would have gone the other way, we would have said, oh, Rick Campbell should have taken the safety there. Because whether you're going, kicking the ball deep and you got 40 yards till you kick a field goal or 40 yards to score a touchdown, either way, that offense is going to need to move the ball 40 yards. And last I checked, the defense didn't give up a touchdown all game. So you make them go 40 yards and do the more difficult scoring play, which is scoring a touchdown here, uh, because they can easily get into field goal range, wind down the clock, kick the field goal in the final play of the game. To me, if I am Calgary and I have to, you know, debate, okay, do I can I kick a game-winning field goal with the most accurate kicker in CFL history, or do I have to score a game-winning touchdown with a guy that's only made three or four career starts? I wonder what I'm going to choose. Yeah. I'm going to take that field goal any day of the week. And so, so, Rick Campbell, I hate to say it, cost his team the game this week. To, to me, here's what's interesting. I understand if it's a rookie head coach. I understand if it's a, it's a Devon Claybrooks. I understand if it's a Kahari Jones. But you're talking about a coach that has been to the great top three times in the history of the Ottawa Red Blots. Won the Grey Cup once. I understand if it's a rookie coach, but to me, along with Michael Shea, Rick Campbell is one of the more veteran coaches in the CFL. And I think it just goes to show that it doesn't matter who you are. You can overthink yourself regardless of who you are. Yeah, that that's a great way to put it. Um Moving on, because I want to talk about a couple other topics sure. here yet on the show. Uh, Sorry, I'm just fired up today. No, good. I love that. That makes for great content. Keep it up. Uh, one of the other teams, uh, we've talked a lot lately about BC, Ottawa, and Toronto, the bottom mm-hmm. feeders of the league right now, because there is a lot to talk about with them as to what's going wrong. But 
A team we haven't really talked about much in the recent weeks, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They're sitting now 3-3 three and three after back-to-back -back very impressive wins mm -hmm. over the Lions. Granted, it is the Lions. It's a divisional opponent. You win a bat-to-bat. -bat. You save your season. You're... To me, there's not much to it. I mean, I said this two weeks ago. Whoever wins this bat-to-bat, -bat, if it is a split one way or another, is going to benefit. Yeah, and props to them for winning two straight games because against the same team because that doesn't happen much. I go back to, I think this was two years ago, BC and Saskatchewan. They always have this early season home-and-home, home, BC and Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. And I remember a couple years ago, I forget who won the first game. I think it was BC crushed Saskatchewan in the first game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you're talking about. The, the Riders did late in the game actually you know, make a bit of a comeback in there. Right. But it was, for all intents and purposes, a blowout. And coming back into Saskatchewan the week before, what happens? Saskatchewan goes and blows out BC in that one. So uh, a home-and-home -home series is not a given in any standpoint. So if you can blow out the same team two weeks in a row, just look at Hamilton-Montreal earlier this season where the Ticats, uh, their one loss of the year came against Montreal the week after they beat them pretty good. Props to Saskatchewan for that. My question for you is, it, the, is 500 accurate for the Riders? They have three wins. They have three losses. I would argue they could have easily won those games against Hamilton and Ottawa and maybe should have. Are the Riders better than the 3-3 three and three record? Are they worse than the 3-3 three and three record, given that their wins are against uh, two against BC, one against Toronto? Or is it accurate? It's where they should be, given everything, I think. I mean, if you look at it, they are 3-1 and one in the last four after starting 0-2. It's a CFL. It's an 18-game season. To me, that's really darn good. Given the circumstances, they don't know what their quarterback situation is. To me, there's no way, and you know what, you let that Talaro step back on the field. No, Cody Fichardo's uh, got that pretty much locked up. And, and even... The one thing that kind of surprises me, remember when Fajardo made his first start and Craig Dickinson said, we're going to see, we're going to use both quarterbacks and we're going to see Isaac Harker and we're going to see Cody Fajardo. And then Cody Fajardo just said, nah, I'm good. To heck with that. I'm yeah. going to stay on the field, right? Yeah. And it's another thing to say, oh, you know what? He won his first two starts. He lost that one against Calgary. Well, I'll tell you what, Pajardo's 4-1 and one as a starter for the Riders. Which is very, very good record for a guy who's a starter for the first time in his career here. I think this is, like, you mentioned that they're, what, now 3-1 and one in their last four games? Uh, yeah, if you take out the two losses, yeah. I, I, I think this is a Riders team that we should be weary of uh, in the coming weeks in the sense that this is a team that's starting to get on a roll. This offense is by far and away better than any of us predicted it to be coming into this season. We thought maybe they'd be a little bit better with the addition of William Powell in the offseason and maybe Manny Arsenault would help, but we did not expect the offense to be putting up the points like they did this year. Like, go back to last year where the defense was scoring more touchdowns than the offense, and going to this year, it is a night and day difference for this Riders offense. This defense is starting to round into form. I know Charleston Hughes uh, was held off the stats sheet this week, but he had the monster week the week before. And uh, the special teams, you had Luchas Purifoy go and return a kickoff for a touchdown this week. Now, 
granted, the cover team could have done a bit of a better job against Ryan Lankford. I think this is a Saskatchewan team that is starting to round into form here, and it's just going to make things interesting in that West Division, uh, you know, because I think we originally early in the season had the Riders missing the playoffs, you and I, but I, I, well, with the way BC has played, with the way Toronto's played, with the way Ottawa's played, Saskatchewan's looking pretty decent at a playoff spot here. I'm not ready to... I'm not ready to suggest that the Riders are going to come out of one the great top or go to the great top. I am willing to contend that they took a big step in securing a potential crossover because I really believe that Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatchewan are in the front runner for playoff spots and one of those four should get a crossover. Had tipped the wheels fall off the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and they did a crossover, which I don't foresee happening. You just never know. But Saskatchewan did what they needed to do to bury a team, but now they got a six point lead on the BC Lions. And yes, I know it's only four points, but I'm factoring in the, the, the tiebreaker, which goes to the way of uh, Saskatchewan. But here's the other interesting scenario, really, really quickly. I don't believe that we've seen the best of Saskatchewan defense. Saskatchewan defense appears to me to be a little bit susceptible. Now, the games that they lost, their defense was kind of ho-hum. We had a bit of a problem. See Calgary, see Hamilton, see Ottawa. Well, they gave up the 44 points there. So, it's really hard to make a judgment because... In my mind, Saskatchewan did what they needed to do. And that was, in no uncertain terms, show that your BC and Saskatchewan played each other for the, for the last two weeks for the right to stay out of the basement, for lack of better term. Because we saw what happened. BC is now 1-6. and six. Flip the script. Saskatchewan will be 1-5 and five if BC would have swept. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know how much thought you put into that, given the fact that, in my mind, Saskatchewan did what they needed to do based on previous hardcore evidence of what BC has possessed as a football team. Right. Really quickly, before we get into fantasy and pick them and all that uh, here to round out the show, BC goes into a bye. time already? Wow. I know. It's, it's 45 minutes into the show already here, Mike. Doesn't even feel like it. <laughs> uh, BC goes into the bye week this week. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about them here. Now. They did make the trade yesterday. They did. They brought in uh, an offensive lineman from the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, I'm not sure how much that's going to help. But... No, but it shows they are trying to improve things uh, on the offensive line there. Uh, one in six going into the bye week. Things seem to be a disaster here. What, like, changes need to happen this week in BC because for all intents and purposes, like we've talked about, they, uh, their season is on the ropes early on here because they have lost the season series to Saskatchewan. They've lost the season series to Edmonton. They're already... And to Winnipeg for all intents and purposes. There's only one game left. Well, great. And, and even a bomber... If the Bombers lose by nine points to BC the next time each team playing Winnipeg in a couple weeks, Bombers win the season series. Yeah, 
it's not looking good for BC, and they are behind here uh, when it comes to that. So, what, so, so what, you're basically, for all intents and purposes, behind in a season series or have lost a season series to two, almost three teams in a five-team division. And Calgary. And, rem- and remove yourself. And Calgary, you're down in uh, a game already, too. So things are not looking good for BC. Changes need to be made this week. Do, what ex- what changes do you expect to see, or what changes would you like to see from the Lions this week? I'm going to say this because I think it needs to be said. I think they need to let it upgrade in their running back. I really don't think that any of those guys can get it done. More so, and I don't mean to disrespect those two guys. John White, Brandon Rutley. But they need to have... A receiver that can catch out of the backfield. Because what's going to happen is everybody's bringing the house against PC. So what's your next best option, right? Drop it off. Drop it off. There's always that running back, right? I feel like Rutley is such an explosive guy, though, that you could do that with if you design the game plan. And that's where I'm going here with the change. But but the problem is you you can't, right? I mean... you need to be able to help your quarterback out. Play calling hasn't been there, which is surprising. But you need to do something to help. Does somebody get fired in BC this week? I I can't say you don't know what up it's Dallas Quall. I I don't know based on the coach's cap where that leaves them if there's <clears throat> room for that, but. I, 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 I hate to say it. I Coaches tap or not, you need to do what you need to do to better your football team. Well, the question is, do they have the ability to do so, given the cap? I don't know. Um, but Jarius Jackson's job, I feel like he, I feel like Jarius Jackson as offensive coordinator is on the hot seat right now, just based on the struggles of the offense. I mean, they put up less than 70 yards of total offense. That's a very good coaching staff, but they've established at least in my mind, on, on pa- paper. On paper. But my question is, how long do you allow status quo to go on? And maybe Jerry Jackson is the scapegoat for everybody because he's been there the longest. Something needs to change. But even then again, the effect of coaching changes or a coaching change, and I'm not saying head coach. There's a big discrepancy about you know, coaching change. I'm saying a coaching change, not a not a head coaching change, but a coaching change. Has the hole become too deep is my question. And are you making that coaching change only to salvage what you have in the dressing room? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I will never advocate for somebody in particular to lose their job. Um, but I will say changes need to be made in BC this week if they're going to turn things around. To me, the obvious thing is, if you have the coaching tap and you can't move around that, well, you go to your only option that you have, and that's player contracts. And we'll see what changes get made this week. Let's round things out talking CFL Fantasy and CFL Pick'em. Uh, starting off with the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge. This week, things went oh so wrong for myself. Well, uh, it, it, tell everybody why. Well, I didn't consult with Mike on my picks again. And <laughs> any time I go rogue, uh, it doesn't go well because somehow the dang Argos creep back into my brain. 
And this oh, right. week, I, I should just turn your mic off for the next five minutes. This week, I had three of them in my lineup. To be fair, Darrell Walker had a great game. Right. Brandon Burks was a cheap running back under $3,000 and was just a cap savings. But McLeod, uh, And I picked McLeod Bethel Thompson also because he was the cheapest quarterback, and he had been putting up some good points lately. But the Argos get shut out. That means a disaster for me. And to his credit, Superfan Mike from the Eskimo Empire podcast put up a great week with 108 points or so. So uh, congratulations to him on the victory. I move on to this week to fi- at a 4-3 and three record to face... Uh, Pick Bra- yourself up off the mat and start over, right? Exactly, against Brazilian tie of the 2-and-out CFL podcast. So make sure you check out the 2-and-out podcast. Uh, two episodes a week from them, a recap on Monday, a preview on Thursday... I will be skipping the Thursday preview just so I don't learn his picks this week because I want it to be an even matchup. Uh, but everybody make sure to check that out. Uh, it's a must listen every single week between those two. Uh, along with our podcast, let's be clear. And everybody in the Canadian Football yeah. Podcast Network. Um, looking at our fantasy challenge, Mike, well, you know the scores. Uh, you you want to share the good news as you're I finally surpassed. The man sitting beside me as far as a weekly victory. Still have some work to do. Uh, largely aided by a bunch of Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, William Powell, three touchdowns. Cody Pajardo, fairly decent team. And uh, a couple receivers making some catches. Yeah, William Powell, 33.1 fantasy points. 145.78 points for you this week. For myself, just 90.14. My three quarterbacks for the week, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Mike Riley, and Matt Nichols. Can't say I feel sorry for you. I had that a couple weeks ago. Enough said there. Uh, Out of those three, uh, Matt Nichols actually had my highest total at 8.64 in his worst game of the season. Despite the interception. Where he threw three picks. So Mazzoli goes down to injury. So safe to say I'm making a trade at that position this week. Uh, but overall scores here, I'm at 1,113.96. You are at 901.22, so you made up about 50 points on me this week. Slowly but surely, pulling my way out of the hole. How will you be tinkering with your roster? Yeah, I'm going to make a change at running back. I'm going to remove John White from my roster, and I'm going to add John Crockett of Ottawa. And I'm going to remove TJ Lee. And I'm going to grab from my Hamilton Tiger Tatnitz short all. What about those? Uh, what's the reasoning behind uh, that? Just move? to get a little more production out of the running back. Uh, BC doesn't seem to know who their feature bath situ- what their feature bath situation is. It, it was Rutley the start, then it was White, then it was Rutley, then the bath to White. Just a little, little more consistency that I tried to do that in a hole. Uh, John Trott, it appears to have established himself as the feature bath in Ottawa. And uh, Nick Shortle in replace of uh, another suspended guy that I have for now, at least in uh, Simone Lawrence, who will miss one more game this week. Uh, had a fairly su- substantial game defensively against the Blue Bombers. So just a little bit of an upgrade there. For myself, uh, I mentioned already the quarterback position. Jeremiah Mazzoli is out for the year, which means there's no need to keep him in my lineup. So I will be dropping him and trading for... Uh, big play VA, as they call him. That's his Twitter handle. Vernon Adams from the Montreal Alouettes, I think his best quarterback option still available. He's a guy that's 
learned to not just use his legs, but use his arm effectively, and he's having a great season. And the thing along with him and Cody Pajardo is they've shot that fine balance of using their legs versus using their arms. And my second trade for this week, I debated whether I was going to use a second trade. Uh, I do still have Sean Thomas Erlington on my injured list, but I don't like any of the other running back options particularly. I just gave you one there in uh, John White if you you feel still inclined. But, you know, Thomas Erlington has been out for four weeks. Uh, He was going on six-game list, so I'll wait to see if he perhaps comes back in a couple of weeks, and I'll keep him around for now. Uh, I'm actually going to swap one Argo for another here. I am going to drop SJ Green because he seems to be non-existent in that Toronto offense. And, Along uh, with a few other people. Pick up the one guy that does seem to be existent now, and it's a guy you dropped earlier in the season. I will take Darrell Walker. Uh, seems to be the only Argo doing anything these days and gets a lot of catches. He gets a lot of yards. One of the most targeted receivers as of late. Real quick. I don't want to get into your lineup with with your uh, podcast network uh, parity, but I do have to ask this question. Does it make smart financial sense from a cap reason uh, to take a look at Dane Evans this week? Oh, I might. Yeah, I, I'm a guy. I, I try to spend as little at the quarterback position as possible. And that's why I asked that question. And, right? and you know, just looking at it here, uh, I'll try to find his dollar value. But, yeah, maybe. But, I don't know, that's risky against the Riders' defense. True. Uh, with Dane Evans. So. I'm, I'm both teams on a short week, too. Yeah, that, that that's something there. He does come in at $5,000 cheapest starting quarterback in the game. So, maybe we'll see that. I'll tell you this. I promise, no Argos in the lineup this week. We'll see about that. Probably have five of them in there by Thursday. <laughs> CFL pick By the way, I'm going on holidays starting tomorrow, so there's no excuse. I, I will have my phone with me on holidays. Sounds good, thanks. Uh, CFL pick em, uh two and two weeks for both of us, Mike. You would have been three and one because uh, we both got BC wrong. We both picked BC to beat Saskatchewan. I picked Saskatchewan. Pretty sure I picked Saskatchewan. Yeah, maybe you did. And on the foot of the Alta to Tamil, but I switched it last minute. Yeah, Mike uh, pulled the Orion and uh, had the Ticats yeah. uh, in his lineup. But then the more, like an hour before the game, texted me and said, nope, changed my mind. Bombers 38-17. Mike, why? I, I don't know. I I just I overhyped my Blue Bombers. I don't know. I Let's just say I regretted that decision five minutes into the game. Super quick picks for this week. Uh, starts off Thursday night, doubleheader again. Toronto hosting the Bombers. Uh, I'm taking Winnipeg. I think Toronto will score a point in this one, uh, but not enough to beat the Bombers. Yeah, no, I expect the Bombers to cover the 14.5 point line, but they're currently favored by. Uh, Saskatchewan hosts Hamilton in the second game on Thursday night. This- Defense is better than offense. Pitting the Riders at home. This is a tough one to me, but I I don't know what Dane Evans can do yet, so I'll, I'll, I I think I'll agree with you and take the Riders there. Uh, I I hope to see Dane Evans come out and have a good game here. Uh, and then Friday night has Montreal and Ottawa a rematch from a couple weeks ago, uh, where the where the Alouettes did beat the Red Blacks in Ottawa. Do they do it again here at home against the Red Blacks? I think Montreal wins this one. Uh, makes it four straight wins. For the Montreal Alouettes, Ottawa's reeling. Granted, 
they played better this week, but and uh, Do- it looks like Dom Davis is uh, probably going to start this week, so cool. maybe that's a bit of a boost for Ottawa. But I like Montreal coming off the bye week. Yeah, and uh, it'll be five straight losses for me for Ottawa when this is all said and done. So you're taking Montreal yeah. as well. Let's see if we agree to round this out. This is probably the juiciest matchup of the week. It's the Battle of Alberta, and it's not even Labor Day. Uh, I don't remember the last time we've seen these two teams play each other before Labor Day. They get a chance here in Week 8. Calgary hosting Edmonton. I am going with the upset in this one. If there's such a finger pitching Edmonton in Calgary. I don't know if that's an upset. They're, 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 they have the same record. Just from my opposite, but if it's the road team, right? I guess, yeah. And Calgary doesn't lose at home very much. In, in the same sense, I mean, Trevor Harris is really kind of evened out after a really hot start to the year. I will take Edmonton as well. We'll agree across the board this week. Uh, Calgary, I don't know. I'm still not entirely convinced that their wins have been that convincing. They've looked beatable. And they backed into one last week. That, that's the biggest thing for me. Against the team that doesn't really give up a lot of opportunities. And if your defense can shut a team out, you deserve recognition. I'm taking Edmonton. That does it for this week. Check out the Canadian Football Podcast Network, cfpodnetwork.ca. Make sure you check out the Mouchoir podcast this week as they try to justify Rick Campbell's decision to take the safety. Uh, make sure you check that episode out. Teaser, in my mind, there's no way to justify it. Check those. Uh, check every other show out this week as well. Great content around the network. Uh, check us out on CFC on Mike FM on Twitter. And uh, tune in next week as we talk more CFL here. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Bye.